truth, perspective, and growth. This is the Michael Carroll Discipleship Podcast. As God is working on each one of us so that we can stick next to one another and ultimately get over our own selves and our own selfish desires, and we can do what we were always created to do. And that's worship God. That's love God with all of our hearts, minds, and souls. And that's to be the people that God created us to be. All right, well, here we are. This is the Discipleship Podcast, and I'm Michael Carroll, your host and your friend as we navigate God's Word together. You know, we've been on a very important series the past few weeks called Essentials, and I feel this series has been timely and important because we believe that God's Word is the ultimate source of truth and revelation from God. In Scripture, we can tune into the voice of God and not only witness His rescue project unfold, but we can also be led by His Spirit and begin to hear His voice. And as He leads us into truth, His creative purposes for our life will begin to line up with the overall mission of Jesus, and we can actually begin to discern what God is doing and where He is taking us. Romans 12 tells us to allow our minds to be renewed so that we can begin to test and discern God's will for our lives. And as we submit our minds and hearts to God's word, our thoughts, emotions, and desires will begin to transform and take shape so that we can fit into the path that God has paved for us. And it's an exciting thing to see God's plan unfold before you. And I hope and pray that you are seeing and experiencing this growth and transformation in your own life. Well, today we'll be talking about a major factor of this growth, and that is character. The riches of character growth and transformation really are endless, and I'm excited to give you three important, or I would say essential things to understand about your character and how these three principles actually fit into God's purpose for your life. So with all that being said, let's just go ahead and hop right in. Father, in Jesus' name, God, we come before you low and humble We ask for your Holy Spirit to begin to take over our thoughts, God, our emotions. Lord, we release any anxiety or stress that we carry at this moment right now, and we ask for you to replace it with your peace and comfort that we can only experience in your presence. And Lord, we ask you to lead us into truth, truth that will transform our hearts and minds and open our eyes to who you are. And we give you all the glory for everything we experience along the way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I said before, we'll be talking about character in today's episode. And, you know, character is a funny word that I think can often be misunderstood, misunderstood, excuse me, simply because it sounds a little old school, if I was to really be honest. Uh, You know, I don't hear a whole lot about people talking about character or integrity. So uh, let's talk about what first what character means. What does character actually mean? So the Merriam-Webster book. Dictionary defines the word character a few different ways. One of the ways is a certain attribute or feature that makes up and distinguishes an individual. Another way it defines it is the complex of mental and ethical traits marking and often individualizing a person, group, or nation. So for the sake of pulling theological insight on character formation from scripture, I'm going to combine these definitions together and define character as this. 
the attributes and features that make up the ethical and mental traits of an individual which uniquely identifies a person. So to say in a, play, a plainer way, character is how, how you know somebody to be. Character is the traits that reflect out of the person when that, that initial stage of being on your best behavior is over. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. Everybody has that stage when you meet somebody for the first time. Oh, you're on your best behavior. You're acting nice. You got your good clothes on. You brushed your teeth. People usually have learned how to put their best out in the initial stage. But that's not your character. That's actually a character. And usually, if we're being honest, it's a character that people have come up with that actually helps them either get people to like them or helps them to get things accomplished in life. Now, this isn't necessarily a bad thing. Sometimes it's needed in life. For example, a car salesman will need to learn to display certain characteristics to get a car sold. They make people feel comfortable. They learn how to tell jokes. They learn how to uh, talk about money in a certain way that's not so uh, intrusive. But that doesn't make those characteristics a part of who they are. It's just something they have learned to display. But character is what's living beneath the surface. It's sort of always waiting to peek out and kind of reveal itself when called upon. And if you get around someone long enough, sooner or later you're going to see that character pop out. And you'll begin to learn and to see what's really living within that person. Are you feeling me? Character is not always seen. But listen to this. True character of somebody is never forgotten. I'm going to say that again. Character is not always seen, but when the true character of someone is observed, it's never forgotten. Whether good or bad, when somebody is authentic and lets their true colors be seen, that will make for a moment that is surely not going to be forgotten by anybody who observed it, whether good or bad. And there's something about somebody's character that stands out when it's revealed. And in fact, that this is actually a creative purpose by God. And I'll explain. When we take it back to the Bible, we can track character all the way to the very beginning of humanity. Genesis 1, 26 to 28, humans were made in God's image. They were given a function. They were given a purpose to reflect God's image, his wisdom, his justice into this world. And Eden is where we were meant to live. That's in the very beginning. That's where we see man. That's where we were meant to live. We weren't there by accident. We were meant to live in God's presence, growing up and maturing, being saturated with wisdom from above. And as stewards of the sacred space called Eden, we were to maintain order and extend the boundaries of the sacred garden to the ends of the earth. God blessed them in in Genesis we read and said, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. He started, God started them in a position of holiness, of sanctuary, of being in his presence. And there was uh, order designed all the way around them. And from this posture, from this position, God told man to go out into the earth and extend the boundaries of this sacred garden to the ends of this earth. That was their position. That was their purpose. To worship God 
And as they worship God, they would grow in maturity, being influenced and instilled with his divine wisdom from above. This was the divine wisdom that we needed in order to rule the world, in order to maintain order and purity, and in order to subdue the earth and create healthy, heavenly families and communities. So our exile from the garden created an even deeper exile from within. To say it plainly, we were orphans inside our hearts. The space in our hearts meant for God became empty. And we began a journey of longing for what nature in itself could never provide. And the saddest state of affairs one could ever think about is this. People with purpose and potential, unable to accomplish or achieve it, yet never able to shake that natural desire for it to be realized. To say it in another way, we are longing, our hearts are longing Augustine once wrote, our hearts are restless until they find rest in him. Well, why? Because God's presence brought purpose in life to humans in Eden. And so our exile has left us longing, searching, thirsting for something more in this world. So how does character fit into this picture? Well, keep tracking with me. Another element that's important to understand about Eden was how all of the models of the temple and the tabernacle and the altar and sanctuaries all resembled and paralleled the model of Eden. In other words, we can see that from Genesis 12 into the end of the second temple period with the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem in 70 AD, God was consistently recreating a new prototype of Eden with the overall purpose of expanding Eden to the ends of the earth. Well, why was God doing this? Because his plan never changed. This world was his temple where his presence would dwell. And we are his image where his presence would reside. And as we worship him, we become the type of stewards this world was designed to be led by. So let's look at a couple examples from the Old Testament before I tie our character into this overall picture. First, we need to see Eden as a dwelling place of God. The Bible says in Genesis 3.8 that God walked in the garden amongst man. And in Ezekiel chapter 28, Ezekiel would look back and call Eden a temple where he would talk about an Adam-like figure profaning this holy sanctuary in verse 18. It reads, By your many sins and dishonest trades, you have desecrated your sanctuaries. And all throughout Ezekiel 28, there's this imagery of Eden being like a sanctuary, a holy temple that Adam profaned. And we can also look at the Ark of the Covenant as an example of how we can know that Eden was basically the first temple. The Ark that was being carried by the Israelites in their journey before they uh, got to their lo- uh, the land that was allocated to them. This was the ark that was built after the exodus that led uh, that led Israel throughout the wilderness. Looking in the ark, in the Holy of Holies, there was, uh, there was a place where, that contained the law. Now, in this place, uh, we understand that the law led to wisdom. Now, in the, in the Holy of Holies, where the law was, this echoed the tree of knowledge and good and evil. Now, the tree of knowledge and good and evil actually led to wisdom as well, too. And what's interesting is both the touching of the ark and the partaking of the tree's fruit both resulted in death, and they both resembled each other. 
Both Eden and temple are characterized by the holy presence of God that brings wisdom. The tabernacle and future temple that Solomon would build is filled with imagery of the garden. And the garden itself was filled with imagery of life, of rivers and, and trees and all of these things that surrounded it. And uh, it, it showed us that it was a symbolic uh, representation of being the source of satisfaction and purpose. Now, honestly, I could really go on and on about how detailed of parallels the Old Testament provides of how the temple and tabernacle actually resembles Eden, but that's not the focus of the show, and that's going to take me way too much time. I may do a future episode where I focus on the temple and, and, and give a little bit more teaching and insight as to how it resembles Eden and ultimately how it resembles God's ultimate purpose for us, but here's the point I want to get to. Parallels between Eden and the tabernacle slash temple further demonstrate that our desire for life and purpose were properly satisfied in God's presence alone. And really, that's what we had in Eden. We had life. We had purpose. We were satisfied in God's presence. Now, most of our listeners know the story, and so therefore, you know the dilemma of the exile of being exiled from Eden. Most of the people listening to the show will also know what brought resolution to the exile when the man was expelled from the garden. We know it was Jesus. But this didn't happen the way a lot of us may have thought. There's a much deeper, more biblical understanding of what happened. There's a bigger theme, a bigger purpose of Jesus's death on the cross that's so drenched within the whole New Testament scriptures that oftentimes it's overlooked. And that's this. The church is a temple where God's presence dwells, and Jesus himself is the foundational cornerstone. Now, many of us have maybe understood that, heard it. We've probably heard it preached a million times. But let's pick apart what the Bible actually teaches about that and how that ties into our own character formation. In Matthew chapter 21, verse 42, Jesus would echo Psalm 118 by calling himself, The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Another amazing image of the Messiah is found in Daniel chapter 2 in a vision that Daniel interprets. With heavy symbolism, Daniel would see a stone that would conquer and overpower the major power nations of the world and would establish their reign throughout the world. It reads like this, Daniel chapter 2, verse 34 through 35. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were all broken to pieces and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace, but the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the entire earth. We would know looking back at these prophecies that Jesus is this rock. And his claims to have been given all authority on earth and heaven that we find in Matthew 28 point directly to Daniel 2 and how the rock destroys these nations. And it shows us that he indeed is the rock that was cut out, not by human hands. That's a reference to the virgin birth. And the fact that God is divine, Jesus is divine, he is uncreated. And to take this one step further, after Jesus' resurrection, he was the first evidence of the new creation that was accomplished at the cross. In fact, Jesus is the new creation, and all those who follow him are adopted into the family of God and are supernaturally reborn as new creations because of his resurrection power. So Jesus is the foundational cornerstone. He is also the new creation. 
So what does this mean for us? And what does this have to do with character? Well, I'm almost there. Just one more step. Keep following me. We have to take Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 28 and raise it high above the whole of Scripture and allow the rest of the Bible story to connect to it. Because here's my main point, which will lead to my main three points about character. The entire plot line of the Bible reveals God's purpose for humanity to dwell amongst them in an Eden temple-like existence and for them to be imagers in his temple. Therefore, everything that God did from the moment of man's exile was to rescue them from this exile through the Passover blood of the Lamb of God, which is Jesus. And do you see the Old Testament exodus echoes in all of this? I hope you do because you should. Let's stop for a second. Because right after the exodus came the Torah and right after the Torah came the tabernacle. Well, the exodus, which symbolizes rescue from the slavery of sin and death, came by the Passover lamb, which symbolized the life and the blood Jesus shed on the cross. Right after the cross came the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which brought wisdom to the church and God's presence would lead them, which represented the tabernacle leading Israel throughout the wilderness into the promised land and the promised land being the new heavens and earth reality, which will be fulfilled at the second coming of Jesus. So all of these Old Testament themes point us to the bigger picture. God was restoring his presence back to us so that we could be the type of people who could live in his presence and partner with him to accomplish his creative purposes throughout the world. So how does Jesus being the foundational cornerstone and the new creation fit into all of this? And what does this have to do with our character? Well, the first point you need to understand about your character is that your character reflects the God you worship. I'll say it again. Your character will reflect the God you worship. And unfortunately, many people, they're not reflecting Jesus into the world. Oftentimes it's greed, it's violence, it's lust, it's all of these other forces that are worshipped in this world. But the blood of Jesus broke the chains of idolatry. And now his followers are free to walk out of those prison doors and worship God and become the type of people who reflect his image and his justice out into the world. Like Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, And we all with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory and are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So when we evaluate our own character, we can see the evidences of what truly has our heart. And if we are truly living a life of worshiping God and following Jesus in surrender, then our character should begin to resemble and reflect him more consistently every day. And the second thing I want that we need to know about uh, character is the second important thing we need to know is that our own character formation is part of God shaping and joining us together as the temple of God. Now, this is a fascinating thing to ponder. Jesus is the cornerstone of this temple, and he is joining all of his followers together into this temple. Paul wrote about this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. 
he wrote, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers. That means exiles, casted out of God's presence. You are no longer foreigners and strangers, but now you're fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. Now, this sounds wonderful, but anyone who's been working with the gospel for a while will know that this process is not always comfortable. It's funny. Uh, looking back at the temple in the ancient Near East, uh, you would learn that whenever temples were built out of stones, they weren't just attached to each other by mud and clay. I think we sometimes get an idea like, that they just kind of put some mud down and put some stones down, but that's not how they built these temples. These stones were actually sanded down until they fit perfectly smooth next to the stones that they would attach to. So they would take and gather these stones together. They would lay them out and they would look at them and then they would begin to uh, match them together and sand off all of the rough edges until each stone matched perfectly together. Now, if this isn't the perfect image of what Christian discipleship looks like, I don't know what is because this is the perfect image of what our own disciples looks like, of what our own character formation looks like. As God is joining you into the temple and attaching you, he's sanding down your character. He's working out your rough edges. He's transforming you so that you can fit perfectly with the rest of the temple. And guess what? The rest of the temple is people. So let me ask you a question. Have you been wondering why people have been rubbing you the wrong way? Have you been struggling with wondering why people are just getting on your nerves? Or why is God stretching and challenging your character in so many different areas? Have you ever wondered why this life just couldn't be a smoother process? Well, God's ultimate plan of restoration involves uniting millions of broken and flawed people from around the world and redeeming them from every curse and stronghold and transforming their character so that they can live live in this new family as people united, reflecting God's image and God's justice and remaining connected to the people of God. And we, the people of the church, as God is working on each one of us so that we can stick next to one another and ultimately get over our own selves and our own selfish desires and we can do what we were always created to do. And that's worship God. That's love God with all of our hearts, minds, and souls. And that's to be the people that God created us to be. Come on, I'm preaching now. I'm talking to somebody. Somebody needs to stop complaining about their situation and just say, Lord, work it out. Someone needs to stop complaining about their situation and say, Lord, work me out, God. Fix me up, God. I know you're doing a work in me. I know you're transforming my character. And God, I want to be a part of your holy temple, your new creation. So Lord, shine me up. Make me look right. Get me right, Lord, because I want to reflect you well. Hallelujah. Come on. Somebody needs to look at their situation a little bit differently. If you think the Lord is not with you, maybe he's really with you. And maybe the reason why you're going through everything that you're going through is so that you can be a part of God's purpose for your life. And the third and final point I want to make about character transformation is this. Our own character formation directly affects those around us in the body. And it can either further God's creation project or it can hinder it. As our character reflects the image of God, we reflect this image, this culture off each other. 
and our response of love towards God and each other rises up as our worship flows from our hearts. And as our worship of love for God and each other flows from our hearts, our hearts are now open to the formation of the Holy Spirit. And just like 2 Corinthians chapter 3 says, we gaze upon God's glory with open, surrendered hearts and we are formed into His image. Your worship will affect the people around you. The only question is, who are you worshiping? Your worship will transform you. The only question is, who are you worshiping? If you're worshiping yourself and money and everything this world has to offer, you better believe that's going to rub off on you and the people around you. But if you're worshiping God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, you better believe that that's going to rub off on the people around you. We are meant to be united together. We are meant to reflect God's image into this world off each other. Our worship builds the people of God up. Our worship furthers God's kingdom agenda and our worship directly aligns us to God's ultimate purpose for our lives and that is to image him to reflect him to be his wise loving and humble people who promote love justice and peace and to sum all of this up there was a point in the Bible when one of the most educated religious leaders at that time came up to Jesus and asked him a question and the answer to this question that Jesus gave it not only brilliantly and powerfully defines the theology and significance of God's creative purposes, but it's also forever shaped the direction and effectiveness of the church. And we find this in Mark chapter 12, verse 29 through 31. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments which is the most important? And the most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. Jesus knew something they didn't know at this moment. And looking back at the cross, looking back at the Exodus, looking back at the covenant God made with Abraham and ultimately the creative purpose behind all of humanity, we can see the simple fact. God has always wanted to dwell with us. And our jobs that he has given us is the same that it was in the very beginning. To extend the boundaries of Eden to the ends of the earth. This is why Jesus told his disciples in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 to 20, to go out into the world, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them all that Jesus taught them, and he would always be with them. Because making disciples is extending the boundaries of, of God's presence extending the boundaries of Eden because God's presence dwells in each one of his people. And as they go out into the world, they are bringing God's presence, God's spirit with them. And as they worship God in the temples of their own bodies, they are becoming more and more like him because you become like what you worship. It was supposed to be that. We just weren't supposed to worship anything but God. 
Hence the first commandment and the severity of idolatry. Idolatry was judged so harshly because it was a direct threat and assault on God's creative purposes. It distorted the hearts of humanity. But as the church worships King Jesus, they begin to model his likeness. They steward his presence. And we move forward in the goal of God's kingdom being established on earth as it is in heaven. As it was always meant to be here, Eden. The sanctuary of God extending to the ends of the earth until this earth is filled with his glorious presence like Isaiah, like Ezekiel, like Daniel, like Revelation shows us. And our character formation is the symptom of the greater work of us being formed together with the rest of the people of God to be one body, one temple where God's presence resides. And I pray you spend some time with the Lord today and throughout the week. And I pray you open your heart to experience this reality in a new and deeper way. And I believe that as you focus on releasing your worship towards God, you will begin to see that your own character will take shape and your life will align closer and closer to his ultimate purpose for your life. Well, as always, I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll see you next week. Thank you for tuning in to the Michael Carroll Discipleship Podcast. Make sure to share this episode with your friends and also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at mcarrollnow. Have a great day. Until next time.